morning, Calvary family. Welcome to each of you, um, those of you in the room and our online family. Thank you for being here today. Um, I just made an executive decision while I was watching uh, all the things that are going on here at Calvary. And on Sunday, February 20th, I'm going to let Pastor Stephen preach where I can just enjoy king cakes and coffee all day. I don't know about you, but if you didn't catch that message, man, I... A lot of great things happening at Calvary, and I, I think it's very appropriate as, as you see some of the opportunities to connect in the church. Uh, it ties very well into our series, Bloom. God knows what he's doing. There's, there's this doctrinal truth about life. God does not make a mistake. He doesn't make a mistake in our lives. He doesn't make mistakes in how he's guiding and leading other people around us, and he doesn't make a mistake in where he's leading the world. He knows what he's doing. Our problem is that we make mistakes. Our challenge is that sometimes we are the ones that complicate it, but he doesn't. He, he has a plan that he's going to work out even when we complicate it. We're talking about being able to bloom, and part of the desire here in this season of life and for this year at Calvary is to help you as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus Christ, to learn how to bloom where you are planted. God has planted you, and sometimes maybe you, you ask the question, um, God, what are you doing? God, what's your will for my life? God, how are you bringing all of these pieces together in my life to get me to the place where I'm supposed to be? Sometimes we ask ourselves those questions, but we overlook the obvious many times. He is right now very clearly working in your life, and he is right now working out a plan where he has planted you to be exactly where you are right now. And that doesn't just mean right now in church, by the way. Although he orchestrated your choices, design, the will for, that he has for your life, even right now for you to be able to hear a word that would perhaps inspire your spirit and move you forward as you recognize God has placed you right now exactly where he wants you to be. I was meditating this morning on my way to church, just even thinking about personal decisions, personal choices in life for myself. And there's this reality that in life, perhaps you've done this, where you think, gosh, I would have perhaps chosen a different pathway. I perhaps would have made a different decision. Um, sometimes we think that related to work. Sometimes we may think that related to our extracurricular activities. Sometimes we think, gosh, I would have done this differently. But God doesn't think that way. God knows, and I want you to grasp this today when you think about what it means to bloom where you are planted. God knows that only you could do exactly what you are doing and make the impact that only you could make right now exactly where you are. God knows that. Now, it's easy to say, well, someone else um, could do your job, right? Well, well, someone else could do my job. Perhaps sometimes we think that. Well, if someone else could do your job, they would be doing your job. But they're not. 
If someone else could raise your family, they would be raising your family, but they're not. You are raising your family. You are there to do your job. When you think about getting involved in a church, well, someone else will help the church be great. No, you are in the church to find your place in the body of Christ to help your church be great. As a student, you are a student in your school to make a difference in your school with the skill set that God has given you. We all have this challenge in life where we think, oh, well, someone else or maybe something else. But God has a plan and he knows his plan and his plan is to work it out with you being involved right here, right now. Bloom, learning how to bloom where you're planted. Now, as we go through this series, one of the things that you're going to see naturally happen in the world, in the world around you, is we are going to move, at least here in New Orleans, from a quasi-type of winter to a spring. And what happens between winter and spring? You move from this sense of cold darkness. Now, we don't really have a whole lot of that in New Orleans, although it's a little chilly today. But what do you normally see? You see dead things come to life in the spring. Today I want to talk to you about how you can bloom where you're planted by experiencing the life that Christ has given to you. And we're going to, of course, the letter that the Apostle Peter writes to the church all around the region of that time. And we're going to pick up exactly where we left off last week, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And he gives us in the very first words a key to how you and I can bloom where we're planted. How do you, how do I, how do we as children of God bloom where we're planted? In the very first words, he says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. How do you bloom where you're planted? Well, you prepare yourself to act. Keep sober in spirit, he says. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. But you were redeemed with what? With precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. But he has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, 
fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again. Not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. The Apostle Peter prepares the church of that generation, just like you and I have to be prepared today to bloom where they were planted, to be able to experience God's will and reflect God's way in the world in which they were placed. Listen very closely. God makes no mistakes. He has placed you exactly where you live, where you work, and where you do life. But the way that you capture the purpose, the meaning, the plan of God is to participate, to take action. This morning, we're going to look at how we can learn to take action. And the Apostle Peter gives an outline for success. He, he paints a way for you and I to learn how to bloom where we're planted. And it is the way that Jesus reveals in giving us new life. Today, I'm going to talk about that new life that Christ gives us. Because as winter gives way to spring, you see new life take over things that were dead, that were dark, that were perhaps seeming to just be stagnant. And yet, in a moment, before you even realize it, new life comes. That's like you and I, the people of God, learning to reflect the new life that Christ gives us. And that's the life lesson today, if you're taking notes. The people of Christ... As Simon Peter writes to the church then, the people of Christ, we bloom. And how? When we live out the new life given by Christ and revealed through his word. How do you bloom? When you live out the new life that is given by Christ, for we have received life from him. But how do we know how to live it out? It's revealed through his word. You're going to notice some themes today and through the rest of the letter that Simon Peter writes to the church of that generation. And one of the themes that is echoed again in the first introductory part of his letter is that God knows what he's doing. God has a plan. And then you're going to notice another thing. God reveals his plan. He doesn't leave us in the dark. He tells us what his plan is and how we can be a part of it. And he does that over and over again. These themes that echo through the letter of the Apostle Peter, the first letter to the churches of his generation, reveal this. And it begins with the life that Christ gives to his people. The life that Christ gives to his people, what does it look like? Well, as we take these verses and we break them down, obviously he's focused on Jesus. New life comes from Christ. It doesn't come anywhere else. We can try harder, we can work harder, but it doesn't seem to change what only the grace of God can change. And the grace of God, he highlights in this passage, gives us new life. As people of Christ, what do we look like? Last week, we looked through some characteristics that Simon Peter would give to the people of the church. 
He would give to the people who follow God. Well, I want to continue that theme today because as we look at what we can learn today from the church of that generation, we can see who we need to be. And and who are we? Who are we as people that God loves, that God has a plan for, that God has placed? Who are we? First and foremost, today as we pick up where we left off, the people of Christ are people who are conformed by his grace. Conformed by his grace. He talks about fix your hope completely on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to your former ways. This word conformed is used one other place in the New Testament. Do you know where it is? Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, for many of you who are scholars of Scripture, you will recognize that the Bible says there, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove what the will of God is. It's connected very clearly again to this challenge from Peter to the Christians of his generation. Do not be conformed to the world. But Simon Peter actually gives an even better, I think, more clear definition of it. He says, do not be conformed to the most challenging thing that faces all of us that keeps us from blooming where we're planted. Do not be conformed to your former way of life. Do not be conformed, interpretation, to the things that challenge you the most. Think about it. What challenges you the most as a person? Is it something from your past? Is it the greatest temptation that you faced? Is it something that you struggle with that other people don't struggle with, but you struggle with it? The struggles that are unique to us as Christians are the struggles that uniquely keep us from blooming the most. Think about it. It's not someone else's struggle that keeps you from blooming where you are. It's your own struggle. And it's the struggle that is unique to you. What's the struggle that may be unique to you? Perhaps it's fear. Perhaps it's an attitude that you inherited. Anger. Perhaps it's lust. He uses the word lust, but he doesn't just mean lust as we know it. He's talking about anything in this world that holds you back from blooming where you are planted. So what would that be for you? There are so many things that we could fill in the gap for someone else, but it becomes personal. How do I overcome the things that are former in my life? Things that are personal, things that challenge you, me, us, but individually. How do I do that? Well, he gives the key. And there's a little equation that I put together this morning to talk about the power of being conformed by the grace of Christ. First, it's grace that motivates obedience. It's grace that motivates obedience. Think about it. We all want to perhaps change our negative ways or the things that hinder us personally from blooming. Because your problem may not be someone else's problem. And their problem is not going to be yours. You're dealing with a unique set of challenges that perhaps hold you back from experiencing the action 
to invest in what God has given you today, the action to move your life forward as a believer. But there's something personal that's going to hold you back. How do you overcome that? Well, I know many of you, myself, we've lived long enough to think that it's just a matter of sheer will. And yet, you've sincerely tried to stop doing something or start doing something else. And perhaps, like myself, you've failed even as an act of sheer will. I mean, we're only early in February, and if we took a survey on how many have kept their New Year's resolutions, I think um, many people would say, nope, already failed in that one. Sheer will won't get it. Um, perhaps at times we think, well, um, exterior circumstances, if they get better, then I can perform. But you know what's funny is we live in a world where it doesn't seem like things are getting better to help people along. It seems like there's going to be another reason to be shut down, set back, stagnate. You can't depend upon culture or your circumstances to move you forward. How do you move forward? Peter says, it is at the revelation of the grace of God. It is God's grace revealed through Jesus that initiates change inside of us. It is God's love for us, his mercy, his kindness, his forgiveness revealed through Christ that initiates in us this motivation to please God. God's grace is the only motive that will help us bloom where we're planted, change our behavior, our attitudes, our actions, and the ways that we interact with God and with one another. It's grace that motivates obedience. When I realize as a believer how much I've been forgiven, how much God loves me, how much God has given to me right where I am. When I begin to embrace God's goodness, God's grace revealed through his son Jesus to save me, then I have a desire to obey. Obedience, for those of you who are parents, you know this. You try to dictate obedience into the lives of your children and there is a time that is coming where they're simply not going to listen to you say because I said so they just don't and and yet that works when you have absolute control over them as an as an older parent and them being younger children but as they grow up and you've seen this you deal with this as they come into their preteens their teenage years and then one day you have to release them because they shouldn't be living with you as, as adults, right? But nonetheless, you don't exercise that type of control. You can't change behavior with control. You can't change your own behavior with control. You only allow behavior modification to happen in our lives when there's a motive that's greater than control for it to happen. And the motive that the Bible gives that's different than every other religious system is not so that you can be a better person. It's not so that you can attain something greater. The motive for obedience as a Christian is God loves you. God has grace for you. God understands the challenges, the struggles, the failures, the things that are unique to you. He knows that. And what does he give you through Christ that no one else is going to give you? grace. He's going to love you. He's going to forgive you. 
and he's going to paint a better way, which is obedience. So if grace motivates me because I've been forgiven, because I'm loved, and I want to follow the pathway of the one who shows me that much grace, what's the next step? Obedience. And obedience then requires change. As the apostle Peter writes to the church there, he says, you lived in a former way of ignorance. He uses that phrase, um, which today we would take as highly offensive. Don't, don't call me ignorant. But basically, he says, grace allows you to see that your former way of life was ignorant. Your former cho choices were silly. They didn't lead to God's best for you or your best for yourself. You didn't know any better. Now, it's not an excuse. He's just acknowledging. Grace allows you to see that wasn't going to take me where I needed to be. That attitude, that response mechanism, that action, those choices, they weren't going to lead in the right direction. And usually, as people, we don't see that when we're in the midst of it. When we're in the midst of making bad choices, when we have bad attitudes, when we're responding the wrong way to somebody, we don't see that really we're acting foolish. Grace allows us to see that that was formerly a way that we pursued that was unique to us, and we were lost in that, but that's not going to lead the right way. So then it allows us to be motivated by God's love to obey Him, and then if we want to obey Him, Obedience requires action. He says, be sober in your mind and prepare yourself for action. You fix your hope on grace. And as obedient children, you don't conform yourself to your former ways which were ignorant. Gosh, what a powerful statement he's making. Listen to Christians. He's not saying that. To make a political statement in his world. He's not saying that to put down an agenda of a group outside of the church. Do you know who he's writing the letter to? Christians. People who love Jesus. People in the church. People who have been saved by grace. And he's saying for you, brothers and sisters, you have received the grace which should motivate you toward obedience. And obedience means that you must take action. And if you take action, here's the third part of the equation. If you take action, action will produce the change that you desire. Nothing changes in our lives until we determine that we are going to act upon what God has revealed to us. Your attitude doesn't change. The choices don't change. The way we respond, it will not change until we realize by grace that we have been saved by a God who loves us. That produces in us this desire to be obedient. And if we truly want to be obedient, we have to act so that we therefore will change. The Bible talks about action. And Simon Peter talks about action by giving a word. Are you ready for the word? This word's a difficult word. It's a hard word to apply. It's one of those dirty four-letter words. Are you ready for it? Holy. Be holy. 
You see, he goes into this whole reminder to the church. You are to be holy. Holy means this, that you are separate and you are distinct and you are set aside for a different purpose in this world than everybody else. Remember, he's not talking to the world. He's talking to believers. He's writing a letter to the church. And he says, church, you have been saved by the grace of God revealed through his son Jesus. And therefore, because of that salvation, you are to be holy. You are to be distinct, separate, and set apart for God's purpose and God's use in this world. The change that you and I need as followers is to become more like Christ, holy like Christ, in all of our behavior. Isn't it funny that Simon Peter has to write this to the church, but yet I believe for myself, for you, for we as Christians, if we're honest, it is our behavior that reveals what we struggle with in our hearts. Our actions are not disconnected from what we harbor internally. Maybe it's a past hurt or a past wound. Maybe it's anger towards something that happened in your life or something else that's going on. And a frustration, perhaps, that you have with someone or some circumstance. And therefore, then what happens? The actions follow. How do you, cor how do you correct the actions? The grace, right? The choice to be obedient and to make action and change and a desire to be holy, set apart, different, and separate. Fitting in is overrated. Fitting in is overrated. I mean, you can look on social media, you can watch the news, you can choose sides out there in the world, and I, I'm going to tell you, it's very dissatisfying. You can pursue all that the world has to offer as a Christian, but there's a problem internally for you as a child of God. Not for everybody else, but for you as a child of God. It's never going to work, and it's never going to fit, and you're never going to be able to be satisfied with what the world offers. Why? Because once you have received, by grace, the love of God, the salvation of God, the life of God, there is a different way for you. You have been given a new life, and there's something that has been placed in you by the Holy Spirit that's just simply not going to allow you to feel at home and satisfied in the things that the world can offer. Now, non-Christians are not going to have that problem because they're able to flow with the different seasons of life, the different thoughts of culture, the different temptations of the world. But you, as a child of Jesus Christ, saved, you have been called something else. What is that? Holy. You've been set apart. Set apart to do what? To bloom where you're planted. Set apart to do what? To figure out how you make a difference where God has placed you. That is what Simon Peter would say to these early believers, and I think it's very important for us today in 2022 as we face a world that has many challenges. We are the answer, children of Christ. You are the one blooming where you're planted to make a difference where you are. And that's important today. And how do I do that? 
I have to be conformed by his grace, conformed to holiness by Christ, separate and different and useful for him. We are not only people conformed by his grace, but how? How are we? You see, many people would say as Christians, gosh, you're no different than the world around you. And in some regard, they're right. But yet, they may not understand if they criticize from the outside what we know on the inside. And what we know on the inside of the church, what we know as children of God, those who follow Jesus, is that we have something that's very unique and very special about us. Are you ready to embrace this today, Christian? There's something very unique and special about you that the world simply cannot claim. No one can claim this unless it's become personal for them. And what is that? You have been covered by his sacrifice. You have been covered by his sacrifice. So the world can throw rocks, right? You can throw rocks at yourself. You can have struggles and challenges as you work through the grace of God. But there's something about you that not everyone can claim. And for those who are within the body of Christ, Simon Peter wrote this to them as an apostle. And the word is still true for you and I today. If you have received the grace of God revealed through Jesus, then you are covered by the sacrifice of Christ. You are forgiven. You are looked at by God in a different way. You have more potential and opportunity to shine for him as a child of God than those who do not have it. And yes, that sounds, gosh, exclusive and divisive. Again, Simon Peter was not worried about the people outside of the church. He was worried about the children of Christ within the church. The people of God who had been redeemed by the sacrifice of Christ. And he describes that. He describes it. He says, if you address, and that's if. If means some will and some won't. But if you address as heavenly father, the one who judges impartially. If you have come under his family. If you have done that, conduct yourselves in fear, which is reverence and respect toward him during your time on earth. Knowing what? You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life that you inherited. You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold. Now, if you pay attention, even in our world today, there's a lot of talk about interest rates. They're affecting you, right? You see inflation happen. Those are real things that we are facing as not only citizens of this country, but around the world. Everything always seems to go up, 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 right? And, and yet it seems like, gosh, there's never enough for it to meet ends in our lives. And Simon Peter says, you weren't redeemed with things that will change in value. You weren't redeemed with circumstantial details in life that don't stay the same. You were redeemed with something better than silver, gold, your financial account, your bank account statement, your ability. You were redeemed with something way beyond you and way beyond this world. You were redeemed with what? The blood of Christ. 
You were redeemed with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished, spotless, the blood of Christ. You were redeemed with the sacrifice of Christ that does not change, that stands the test of time. Redeemed by something that the Bible calls precious, more valuable than anything that we would put value on today. We have been covered by that sacrifice. Here's the importance of that sacrifice. Simon Peter uses a word again that he used earlier in the chapter, and he uses it again by Christ. Earlier in the chapter, he says, you were foreknown before the foundation of the world. What? You were foreknown to become a child of God. How? And he comes back and he clarifies again how. He says, through Christ. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. And he appeared in these times for who? For you. God knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly when he would do it. And he knew exactly who he would do it for. And how was he going to do it? Through Christ. When was he going to do it? At the revelation of Christ. And why was he going to do it? To save those who would pay attention. Who he knew would be the ones that would respond to his grace. You were foreknown earlier in the chapter, but how? Through Christ. Through the sacrifice of Christ. And that reminds me that to be covered by the sacrifice of Christ, it was always God's plan. Salvation through Jesus, the ability to receive grace, to find obedience, to change our behavior, to go in a different direction. It was always determined that it would be through the sacrifice of Christ. Christ was foreknown to be our way to heaven and our way to bloom in this world. In our actions, our attitudes, in the way we treat one another and the way we respond to the world around us. And only you can do that. Only we can do that as the church. It's not something that everybody can do. He was foreknown as God's plan, God's way to save people. And Simon Peter continues as he describes it. He says, he appeared in these times for who? For your sake. Who through him are believers in God. Who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. So that your faith and your hope are in God. This does not apply to those whose faith and hope is not in God. He's not talking to people who are strangers to Christ. He's talking to those who very clearly have a relationship of salvation because of Jesus. And he's saying to them, you, God knew. God knew you would respond to Christ. And God knew you are the one who would receive God's salvation through Christ. And if you apply it to your life, then you will make a difference. He's not talking about everybody else. Now I want that to sink in for just a moment. When you think about you as a Christian, we're not talking about those who are outside of the faith. For whatever reason, not judging them. Have no business judging those who are outside of the faith. For those who are in the faith, think about it for just a moment. God knew he would save you through Christ. He knew he would show you grace. He knew he would plant you where you are today. He knew he had a purpose and a plan to use your life. Then the question comes, am I blooming where I'm planted? We're not talking about everybody else. 
Am I, because of the grace of Jesus, the salvation of the precious blood of Christ that has saved me? Have I received that? If the answer is yes, then am I applying that same salvation power to my job, to my relationships, to my abilities, to my activities, to my opportunities? Or am I being sucked into the normal way of the world, the former way of life that I have naturally inherited in my flesh? Which is it? And as I think about that struggle, because I face the struggle just like you face the struggle, the way to overcome the struggle is to receive and apply the salvation of Christ as a child of God through the precious blood of Christ to my life so that I can be a part of one who he has saved, believes in him, gives glory to him, has faith in him, and has hope in him. That begins to change my whole response mechanism to the world around me. It doesn't matter today when you look at our world. It's a very divided world. Matter of fact, if you read the scripture today, there are a lot of parts of scripture that some even branches of the church won't even accept or receive. Why? Because it's not culturally appropriate. Simon Peter wasn't worried about being culturally appropriate. He was worrying about being like Christ. He was worried about being holy. He was worried about telling the truth to the church, to the followers of Jesus in that generation who were persecuted, who were challenged, who were ridiculed, who were outcast. And he was worried about helping them live where they were, overcoming the times. And how? Not only by just receiving Jesus, that's the easy part but by following Jesus in obedience, because of the salvation, because of the grace, by being someone who applied the grace of God to their lives, by being someone who lived out the salvation, the new life that was given to them. He very clearly says, all of this happened for your sake. Now, it's easy to read that letter and go, yeah, it happened for the church's sake. No, it, Hold on a second, time out, because this is where salvation really begins to bloom and take off. Simon Peter says, all of this happened in Scripture. The precious blood of Christ, the work of Christ, it happened for the sake of you. It happened for the sake of Michael. So now I am responsible for what Christ has done for me. But now fill in the gap with your name. All of the prophets, all of the scripture, all of the work of Christ, all of this happened for the sake of you. So the first point is, have I received that? Yes, you wouldn't be in the church if you didn't receive it. The next part is, well then, have you applied that to the world in which you live? Have you applied that in battling your former ways or the things that come against you? Have you applied that to your life, to your circumstance, so that you will bloom? Have you applied that? And Simon Peter says, as this happened for your sake, it all happened not with silver and gold, but because of Christ, the precious blood of Christ. When I'm conformed by his grace and I'm covered by his sacrifice, then I'm willing to become the kind of person who is changed by his word. And one of the things you're going to see Simon Peter do over and over again through his letters is he's going to highlight the power of God's word. 
He's going to echo the revelation of God's will as revealed through Scripture, through His Word. And as he goes into not only this transition, transition from the blood of Christ to how to apply it, he says, You, in obedience to the truth, have purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. And that is how. How did all of that happen? Through the living and enduring word of God. All flesh is like grass, and its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached. This is the word that was given to you. We want to be people changed by his word. People who are conformed by his grace. His grace is what motivates us. To change, to follow him, to obey. We are those kind of people because we're covered by a sacrifice that cannot be replaced. That is precious and beautiful. And that truly saves those who have faith and hope in God through Jesus. But then that motivates also this guide. This clear instruction. This way to discover truth. And that is to be changed by God's word. Where do you find truth in your life? Where do you discover truth? Is truth subjective or is truth objective? Is it true because you feel one way today and you feel another way tomorrow? Is it true because it was true a hundred years ago, but it's not relevant today, so it's not true now? Is it true because the majority wins and therefore it's true? Is it true because the group that yells the loudest and gets the most attention and the most acceptance, therefore it's true? Where does truth come from? What God does is he reveals to us a standard of truth that never changes. If you look back over your life, you will perhaps, like myself, see that standards have changed. You'll look over the course of generations and you'll see that the way that people do things changes. Truth, we find it in all kinds of ways. We, we find it from what we watch on TV and there we, therefore we form our opinions, right? We, we try to find truth by our friends. Well, if our friends say this, then they must be true. And so then we begin to act on what we believe. It's funny because even Pilate, dealing with Jesus at his crucifixion, says, What is truth? Even a ruler of the world at that time didn't know how to measure truth. Do you know how to measure truth? You see, Simon Peter, the apostle, writes to the church. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you've gone through step one and step two that he reveals covered by his grace, covered by his sacrifice, then you have a standard of truth to guide you. A standard that does not change. It doesn't change because people vote for change. It doesn't change because opinions and history changes. It doesn't change because the standard is not given by hum humanity. It's not 
judged by culture, the standard of truth is God's truth. And God has said, look, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word that I give stands forever. The people of Christ are people who are changed by his word, who acknowledge that there is a living and enduring word that doesn't change, and therefore we bend our wills to him. Listen, as a child of Christ, as someone who seeks to be a part of the body of Christ and bloom where you're planted, the measure by which you as a Christian will grow is not how you feel about it. It's not what the world says about it. It's not how we justify it or bend the rules to meet our own expectations or our own desires. The measure by which we will be branded holy or not is God's word. The measure by which we can determine if we are mature in the faith or not is God's word. And God reveals very clearly not only the pathway to salvation, but he reveals the pathway for us to thrive as Christians in a world that is against him. And he talks about the living and enduring word of God, and he compares that to flesh, which is like grass. Have you looked at your grass lately in your yard? I mean, I'm getting my yard ready for spring, but right now my yard is brown. Is your yard brown, right? <laughs> Have you trimmed back your citrus trees yet so that they can bloom and produce more citrus this upcoming year? Something neat about our region. I have a couple of trees in my yard, right? And, and if I clip them back, they're going to bloom. If I get my grass fertilized, it's going to grow. But right now, if you look at it, it's kind of, <laughs> you look at your yard right now, if you have one, it's kind of dead. All flesh is like grass, but the word of God is not. The word of God does not fade. It didn't, does not go through a season where it's dead. We may feel like it's dead, but that's simply our problem, not God's problem. We may feel like it doesn't apply, but that's our world's problem, not God's problem. God did not give us a handbook for life that changes according to the circumstance of life. This is not Netflix Christianity. This is biblical Christianity. It's not cultural Christianity. This is Jesus Christianity. This is not something that changes based on how we feel. This is how God feels about it and how God feels about us. How he feels about you and I. And as Simon Peter talks about the word, and you will see this happen again and again. I, I love this letter. It's part of why we're dealing with it in this season of life. He goes to it again and again and again. And he talks about the power of God's word in the life of believers. We are people who are changed by his word. I'll finish with this. How are we changed by the word of God? Our souls are purified. You have had your soul purified by the word. Today, you would not know the will and the way of God had it not been for faithful people who didn't write as a matter of opinion, but as a matter of record of what God had done and how he revealed himself his redemption, and his way of life for his people. That's why you have today the word of God in your life, your personal copy of scripture. You have something that stands on the backs of people who loved God throughout history. And you have that which has revealed to you the way of salvation. It helps to 
cleanse you, purify your soul and your way of life. The Bible teaches us how to love people sincerely. And as a matter of fact, Simon Peter, I want to be very clear on this one. Notice what he says about who to love first. This is very important. He, he's very clear in this. Uh, a lot of people today in, in their generic Christianity, um, they want to point out, oh, just love everybody. <laughs> Simon Peter realized that that doesn't work until the people in the church love each other fervently first. Love the brethren. Love the sisters. Love the people of Christ. It is the love of the people of Jesus, the salvation of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, helping people along, along in their walk with Jesus that changes the church. And when that happens in the church, in affects out. It's no different than you. Your inward attitude affects your outward behavior. How we love one another in the church, how we help one another in the church, how we submit and surrender to the will of God as revealed through the word happens in the church. And sincere love for his people is a reflection of that. Purified souls, he says. Sincere love, he says. Obedience to the truth. Obedience to the truth. So if I have an opinion as a Christian and I have something that's influenced by society or culture as a Christian, I have a choice to make. Am I going to surrender my way and be obedient to the truth or am I going to be obedient to shifting circumstances, feelings, opinions? And the word allows me to go, you know what? I don't know what's happening out here in the world, but if it doesn't line up with Scripture, I'm out of bounds. If my attitude, if my actions, if my belief system doesn't line up with what God says, I'm out of bounds. It helps the church stay true to the will of God and the word of God and the work of God in this world. And then ultimately, I love the last phrase that he uses because he describes that we have been born again. How have we been born again? Through the seed, through the blood of Christ, which is imperishable. And how is that? Through the living and enduring word of God. And that is the word that was preached to you. Being born again. Now, I know that if you've been in church for a long time, immediately your mind goes like mine to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, what happens? Nicodemus comes to see Jesus, and he comes to see Jesus at night. He comes to see Jesus in a very personal and a very private way. In a way where it won't cost him a whole lot in the world in which he lived. Because for him to go and acknowledge who Jesus was, that would cost him something. And while he has this dialogue with Jesus, Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus, you don't get into the Father's house by doing the same old thing, the same old way, being shifting with your culture and your beliefs. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus said, how do I do that? How do I go back in the womb and come back out? And basically, Jesus then begins to tell him, listen, God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever, whoever would believe in him, they wouldn't perish, 
but they would have everlasting life. And how do I apply this to life? Jesus tells him, this is by the work of the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus, be born again. Simon Peter brings that whole concept forward in his letter to the church and he says, listen, you're in the body of Christ because you have been born again. And how do you continue to live as a child of God in the family of the Father being born again? How do you do that? Obedience to the word, the word that was preached to you, the word that came to you, the living word Jesus, the prophecy of the saints, the prophets of old, and the word that he would write to them. This is how in the family of faith you bloom. When I look at this passage and I, I think about how do I apply that to my life today in the world that we live, in a divided world, in a hurtful world, in a world where we struggle with our own challenges, our own former ways of life? How do we move forward through that? I have to have a standard that I'm willing to say is greater than my own. I can only receive that standard by grace. Thank God for his grace. Are you thankful for the grace of God? I can only cover my former ways by a sacrifice that's not of this world. That is the sacrifice of Christ, the precious blood of Christ. Have you thanked God for his sacrifice to save you? And all of that once received then is applied. And how do I apply that? I have to bend my will to his word. Because it's his word that guides me as a child. Today when I think about where I'm planted, where you're planted, and the fact that God makes no mistakes. God, what have you revealed to me? God, how have you placed me? God, how in this world, according to your word, am I going to shine in obedience to the truth? How am I going to reflect a soul that is pure in my love for the people of the church and therefore then showing that to those outside of the church? How am I going to be conformed to Christ right where I am so that by his purpose and will in placing me in the church, in this church, in community, in this community, in my job, whatever it may be. How am I going to be someone that brings life to that? That's the question that Simon Peter would give to the Christians who were facing persecution. Not in good times, in persecuted times. And that's what he gives to us today. And I think it would be appropriate for us then to pray. To bow our heads and to say, God... If I'm not going to offer any acceptable excuse because there's not one for not blooming where I'm planted, then how, how can I bloom by living out the life of Christ that you've given to me and that's been revealed through your word? As we bow our heads, as we pray, as we bow our hearts, first and foremost, perhaps today's message as the Holy Spirit speaks to you it prompts you to realize the preciousness of your salvation of the blood of Christ perhaps it reminds you that God has called his children to be separate holy and that's okay perhaps it reminds you that you are exactly where God wants you to be gifted exactly how God wants you to be gifted and even in the midst of your challenge, only you can face the challenges that are in your life and you can face them well and bloom. You are uniquely made, you are uniquely saved by God. And in that, the question 
is. God, if you have done all of this, then help me bloom right where I'm planted. Father, I thank you for a letter written to Christians that reminds us of the precious grace, the covering of your blood, and your way revealed in your word for your children. Thank you that you do not change. Thank you that your salvation is open. Thank you that you give hope and life, new life, so that we can grow. And God, here today, both in this church and online, I pray for new life to come out of these dark times and growth to occur in all those who call themselves your children through the precious blood of Christ. We pray this together today, and we want to bloom. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me get you to stand to your feet today. Because there's a song that we're going to sing, and it is an expression that we can from our hearts give to the Lord. And as you have been faithful in your tithes, your offerings, your giving, I, I think the biggest thing, I always think this, before I ever give online or give in person, the biggest gift that I can ever give to the Lord is my heart and my actions of following. So today as we sing this, let us be the kind of church that says, God, what I'm really giving to you today is not just my tithes, my offerings. God, I'm giving you my life and I want to worship you and I want to bloom as we sing together today.